Jonah, the third chapter, if you would turn there, please. And uh, we've noted the message of revival as being God's impending judgment along with his goodness. Uh, so we've, we've said much about that. We've also noted the results of revival as being both repentance and joy. So the message of revival is God's impending judgment along with his goodness. The results of revival has to do with repentance and joy. Tonight we'll say some things about repentance, center in on repentance, a result of revival. Repentance, a result of revival. You cannot have revival without repentance in the people. A revival without repentance is not a revival. There has to be repentance. There has to be repentance. I've seen revivals of what you would call joy and people spinning around and dancing around and running around. But at the end of the day, I didn't, as I look back, I didn't see, I didn't see a whole lot of repentance, if any. I just saw a lot of hooping and hollering. The people must be called to a place of repentance for it to be a revival. I've been doing a lot of soul searching lately. Repentance, repentance, if God had his way, and you know he doesn't always get his way. Did you hear me? Because people don't always respond to the voice of the Lord. But if he had his way, the church would come to a place of repentance. And then you would see a whole lot more sinners come to Christ. Repentance. Repentance is a result of true revival. A revival without repentance is not a revival. And of course in Nineveh, in Jonah the third chapter, we noted that he went to, Jonah went to Nineveh and preached, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message of God for that city. And notice in verse 5, Jonah 3, 5, the people of Nineveh believed God and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. That's indicative of the fact that he's repenting. Okay? And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way. See, turn from. See, turn from his evil way and from the violence that, that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God, notice, God saw their works. He saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. See, repentance is a turning in your heart and in your mind, having a change of heart, a change of mind, that is evidenced in your works or in your actions. If there's no actions, then there's been no true repentance. You understand? I've heard a lot of people say, I repent, but you don't see any change in their actions. I've heard a lot of people over the years say, Pastor, I know on my church attendance, I, I just hadn't been doing right. I, I repent. And you'll see them two services in a row, and then you don't see them anymore. See, they didn't really repent. They just felt a little bit guilty. Maybe were remorseful. But they really didn't repent, because if you really repent, then that, that action changes, and it changes for the long haul. Amen. You'll see them in church every time the doors open if they really repented. You understand that? Except when, you know, extenuating circumstances come up. But you see, God saw their works. 
that they turned from their evil way. See, they believed God. They had a change of heart, but then that change of heart produced action. And they turned from their evil way. See, the, the, what God wants is, is a revival, not of hooping and hollering and running around the room. What's a revival? He wants the, his people to repent. Now, as a result, joy will break forth. Now, sometimes that might be, that might be uh, evidenced in hooping and hollering and running around. But that's not, remember what we told you last week with those great revivalists said that any, any, any time the central focus is on physical manifestations, it quenches the Holy Spirit and the revival ceases. Now you might, as a result of repentance, you'll have joy, all right, and that can be evidenced in, in excitement and dancing and running and shouting and all that. Don't misunderstand me. But that's not, that cannot become, the central focus can't become me walking to a row of people and laying hands on them and watching the whole row fall down. That can't, that can't be the central focus. Now that could happen, but that's not the central focus. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Because anytime you begin to focus on those outward manifestations, like laughing or dancing or whatever, then, then, then it kills a revival. Are you okay? You all right? You all right? You all right? I mean, repentance will produce joy, and joy can be evidenced in shouting and dancing and, and all of that. Don't misunderstand me, but that's not what it's all about. What it's really all about is bringing the church to a place where, uh, of repentance and holiness and consecration and dedication to go out and win the lost. We're, we're in an hour now. There's more earthquakes today somewhere in the world, the major ones, and to the point now they, they just barely get five seconds on the news. Jesus said in the last days, earthquakes, great earthquakes in various places, you know. And, and you can see, I mean... The time is short, dear friends, and, and we're at a point now where the hooping and hollering and the dance and that, you know, it's about winning the lost. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Can you say amen? amen. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not against having a good time. That's, that's all part of it, but that's a secondary to what the main thing is. And that's repentance. And that's coming to a point of holiness and coming to a point where we're vessels that God can, can use boldness come on us and we can, we can proclaim Jesus in the midst of a restaurant, you know. Amen. Amen. You know, or at Walmart or wherever it may be. But God saw their works. They turned from their evil way. And then God relented from the judgment. Now, look at Matthew 3 and 8 in the Amplified Bible. Matthew 3 and 8 in the Amplified Bible. Notice Matthew 3 and 8, what John the Baptist said about repentance. He said, bring forth fruit that is consistent with repentance. And then notice what the Bible says here, the Amplified Bible. Let your lives prove your change of heart. See, in Nineveh, they had a revival. They had the preaching of God's impending judgment and they believed God, they repented and, and you saw it because their lives were proof of their change of heart. You know, remember, how many of you remember Judas? Remember he betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver and the Bible said he was remorseful and had little more than a selfish dread of the consequences of what he had done you know, he even brought back the 30 pieces of silver, didn't he? he, he I mean, he, he even went through some motions, but the Bible is clear that he never repented. Even though the King James says, he uses the word repenteth, as you study it out, he, Judas never repented. He was remorseful or regretful. Did you know there's a difference between being regretful and, and repenting? See, see uh, Judas, was, he, he was remorseful, he regretted, he was just... He, he was sorry, all right, that it all happened, but there wasn't true repentance. Do you understand that? And the Bible's clear on that. You can look that up. That'd be something good to look up. But Peter denied the Lord three times, but the Bible's clear that he repented and he really had a change of heart. He went out and wept bitterly, the Bible says. Said all that to say this. When someone is just remorseful, 
or regret. They're just sorry they got caught, if you will. Huh? I believe if Judas, down the road, if he hadn't have committed suicide and if he would have had the chance to betray Jesus again, I believe he would have. Even though he returned the 30 pieces of silver. See, he didn't really repent. People that don't really repent, if they get the opportunity to sin again, they'll do it. But Peter, I believe if he, I believe if he would have had the opportunity to, to deny Jesus again after he repented, I don't believe he'd have done it because he, he really repented. See, when people really repent, they put, they put that sin away. They put it away and, 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 and they leave it. And they, and they go on. Do you understand? I'm talking about something very serious right now. I'm talking about something a lot of people, I'm talking church people, aren't willing to do. I'm talking about coming to a place where we judge ourselves in, in areas of our lives that aren't right, judge ourselves and, and repent and put sin away. Put that gossiping away. Put that backbiting away. Put that listening to gossip away. Put that listening to tail-bearing away. It's a, it's a day, it's an hour. To, we've come, we have got to put some things away, dear friends, if we want to be used by God. And there's just a whole lot of, 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 of church folks that just aren't willing to do that. Sad to say. I believe we have a bunch here that's going to do that. And we'll get to the place where we'll really be able to have a really true good move of God. Amen? Now, notice if you would, 2 Corinthians 7 and 8. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 8. New King James Version again. Uh, we'll pick up midway through verse 8. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And he said, I made you sorry with my letter. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to what? Repentance. See, there's a difference between just being sorry, but then or having that sorrow actually lead to repentance. You know, there's a godly sorrow that will produce repentance, and there's a worldly sorrow that produces death. You can read verse 10 and see that. For godly sorrow produces repentance. And then it goes on to say, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What is the sorrow of the world? Well, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you found out about my sin. I'm sorry, I, so I'm going to change it just long enough so you think I've changed, but then I'm going to go right back to doing that thing. And you see that wages of sin is what? It's death. So godly sorrow, though, is different. Godly sorrow is, is you have this attitude, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else thinks of me. Like David said, when, when his sin was pointed out to him, he said, essentially, he said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. He didn't try to blame it on this one or that one or, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been out there bathing nude, you know. He didn't blame it on anybody else. What did he do? He pointed the finger at himself and he said, Lord, I've missed it. And he really repented, didn't he? I don't know about you, but I, 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 I want to, things in my life, have a godly sorrow, which does what? It'll produce repentance. See, just being sorry is not good enough. You, you can't stop at being sorry. That's just the first step, godly sorrow. I've missed it. But then you have to come to a place where you actually have a change of heart, a change of mind, and you turn, repent means to turn from, you turn from that thing, whatever it is, you turn from it. You put it away and you go on and you never do it anymore. That's what repentance is. That's what repentance is all about. And so, you know, Nineveh, now, now let's talk about sinners and let's talk about the church. Nineveh was just a bunch of sinners, a bunch of sinners. God loves sinners, do you know that? And he sent Jonah there, he preached. And they, they needed revival. They got revival. and this, the, I mean, the, the, the whole, as far as I know, the whole city repented from the king on down. Is that right? And it resulted in what? In Nineveh, it resulted in, in repentance from dead works and then a faith toward God. Do you know that you cannot have faith that is active toward God unless you first repent? Do you understand that? As it pertains to being forgiven of sin now is what I'm talking about. 
as it pertains to being forgiven from sin. See, a sinner that just calls on Jesus without a repentant heart doesn't get saved. Do you hear that? See, a, a sinner that just calls a, a sinner that just calls on the name of the Lord apart from a repentant heart does not get saved. You can read the book of Hebrews and you can find out that first there must be repentance from dead works and then faith toward God. If all you have is... I'm talking about the forgiveness of sin now. If all you have is faith toward God without the repentance, you don't, it doesn't, that faith doesn't take. So a sinner... That's why preachers... I get so frustrated sometimes when preachers call people to Christ and they call them to just pray the sinner's prayer but they don't say anything about repentance. You can't get saved apart from repentance. Do you understand that? You understand? So, so you first, as it pertains to the forgiveness of sin, there has to first be, and you can read this over in the book of Hebrews, uh, uh, when it talks about, I think, it's in, I think it's in the sixth chapter, it talks about repentance from dead works and then faith toward God. As it pertains to forgiveness of sin... There has to be a repentant heart. Not just a sorry heart, but a what? A repentant heart. You understand? Now, now, now the, the process of repentance starts with being sorry, but you don't stop with just being sorry. You go on and you have that change of heart, that change of mind, and then it's followed up with what? Works, showing, proving. What did, what did, what did John say? I'm going to read it. A mo- uh, we looked at it a moment ago. He said, let your lives prove your change of heart. You okay? You getting what I'm saying? So if your lives, if your life, if your if your works don't show that you've had a change of heart, you haven't. He said, "Bring forth fruits showing repentance," didn't he? He said, "Let your lives prove your change of heart." Your lives prove your change of heart. So, so as it pertains to a sinner getting saved, they can't just be sorry. They have to be sorry, and then and then turn from their sinful life. And then faith toward Jesus, and then they're saved. Okay? So that is, that's as it pertains to sinners. But you know the same, through, the same thing is true concerning the church. Because you see, lest, lest I mislead you and think that once we get saved that we never miss it again, how many's ever missed it since they've gotten saved? I have. And then the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, you don't have to turn there, but you can just mark it. You should have that memorized. That if, that, that, that if we'll confess our sins, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there again, that only works if you're willing to repent of that sin. I'm talking to Christians now. You understand that? If you're, if you're willing to repent. And this is where I want to spend the rest of the... 30 minutes that I have with you here tonight is, is on repentance. You see, as Christians, if any of us say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and, and we make him a liar. Doesn't the Bible say that in 1 John? So I don't want to scare any of you folks that don't know the Bible too well and, and, and you think, oh, I've, I'm a Christian and I've, I've missed it in a certain area. I, I've, I've lied or I've cussed or I've had an immoral thought. I don't want you to think you've lost your salvation there. You haven't. You know you can't lose your salvation that way. Baby Christians, adolescent Christians can't lose their salvation. Only a mature Christian can do it. And then it has to be on purpose, not in a fit of rage. On purpose, full well knowing what you're doing, reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't, I, I've no, I don't think I've ever met anybody that's, that's done that. Brother Hagin said in 60 some odd years of ministry he only met two people that he thought did that. A lot of people that are afraid they've committed the unpardonable sin, if you're afraid you've committed it, you, that's a sign you haven't. Okay? But, but we've all missed it. But when we miss it, we need to confess, our, confess and ask him to forgive us. Is that right? But it doesn't take, it doesn't work if, if we don't have what kind of a heart? A repentant heart. Did I say a sorry heart? No, sorry is just where it starts. Godly sorrow. But what does godly sorrow lead to? It leads to that place of repentance where you have a change of heart, a change of mind, and then you put that sin away. You see what I'm saying? 
And then when you ask Him to forgive you, He does and cleanses you. But speaking to the church, I want you to turn to Revelation, the second chapter. And I just want you to look, I want you to see some things. And I think you'll find this interesting. In Revelation, the second chapter, there are seven churches that are mentioned. And, and, and five of them, Jesus had a message to. And you know what that message was? It was repent. You know, God's number one message to the sinner is repent. And his number one message to the church is repent. Because you can look at those seven churches in the book of Revelation and all, uh, all but two of them got a message from Jesus to repent. Let's start in the church, uh, and, and I believe that's what the Spirit of God is saying to, to Summit Church here in Fenton. Is it, it's, it, it, it's, it's time for us to take a look at ourselves and repent and, and put some things away so that the power of God can flow in here the way He wants to flow. On Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. Amen. Now notice here in Revelation 2 verse 1, the church in Ephesus, to the angel, but he wasn't talking to an angel, he was talking to the pastor, and I don't have time to get into that tonight. You don't write a letter to an angel. It's a messenger, pastor of the church. Jesus is telling this to John, and John is going to now write it and deliver it to, the, to the, this pastor of the church in Ephesus. He says, to the pastor, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars. That's the pastors, those stars, symbolic. Pastors in his right hand. You know Jesus holds the pastors in his hand. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That's the churches. If you took the time, those lampstands were the churches. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Well, that's all good, isn't it? And you have persevered and have ha you have patience. That's all good. You know, Jesus always points the good out first. And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So, I mean, you've got to... It's good. But then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. See, he points out the good and then he, if there's anything needs to be corrected, then he points that out. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, isn't that something? Here's a church that, that had a lot of good works in it, but left their first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And then what's that next word? What is it? To repent. And do the first works. Or, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, your church, from its place, unless you what? Repent. It's interesting... I believe as you study this, they were not... Here you have a church. There's a lot of good things going on in that church. And maybe so much so that they were not walking as close to Jesus as they should. They, the Bible said they had fallen from a place they once had. And I believe that that place that they once had was a closeness with Jesus. They were doing a lot of good works... But that private time alone with Jesus, I believe they let that slide. I believe there's a lot of people in this hour that's let that slide. I believe there's a lot of people in this church that, that at one time walked a lot closer. to. I didn't say in the room tonight. I said in this church that at one time they walked a lot closer to Jesus than they're walking to Him now. You can fall from that place of closeness that you once had. I didn't say you lost their salvation. I just said fall from a place they once had in that closeness with Jesus. Oh, there's so much more to it than just coming to church on Sunday. There's so much more to it than even coming to church on Wednesday. It's having that closeness with Jesus. Hasn't got a thing in the... I'm not talking about a thing in the world about a losing of salvation. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about closeness with Jesus. You know, you can fall from that place. And also, I believe this was a church that at one time had been a soul-winning church, and I believe they let that slide too. I've learned this, that people that have a closeness with Jesus have an urgency for souls. So test yourself. If you don't have an urgency for seeing the lost saved, I'll guarantee it to you. Guaranteed fact, 
you've lost your closeness with Jesus. So what do you need to do? What did he tell them to do? Repent. Amen? See, that's what the Lord's looking for. He's looking for repentance. He's not looking for a bunch of, Lord, I'm so sorry, I'll straighten that up, but then it's not followed up with action. He's looking for repentance. A change of heart which is shown forth in a, a, a changed lifestyle. Now, if that can happen in that church, it could happen in this one or any one, couldn't it? Now, let's look at Revelation 2.14, the church in Pergamos. I find this fascinating and interesting. Particularly as a pastor, and when you look at these churches and you see that these churches 2,000 years ago have some of the same issues that, that churches today deal with, including this one. People are people, aren't they? Revelation 2.14, But I have a few things against you, because you have, those, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Interesting. Doctrine of Balaam. Now much we could say about that, but I'll say this. Just in my own words, one thing they had going on in that church, there were people there who took pleasure in seeing other fellow Christians stumble. Stumble. You know what I mean by stumble? Run on hard times. Have trouble in their life. You'd be surprised how if something bad happened to someone in a, in a church that there's other people in that church, they'd be on the phone or on the internet spreading that all over the place. Isn't that sad? Something happens and the, the internet, the emails or the text messages just start lighting up like a Christmas tree. <gasps> do you know what happened? Do you know what so-and-so? Do you know what so? Do you know what? Do you know? Do you know all that stuff is right from the devil himself? Did you know that? And, and, and if you look at verse 16, verse 16 real quick, what did Jesus say? He said, repent. And then he said, repent or else. I think he said that same thing to the other church, repent or else. And then notice in verse 15, you also have those there who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, a lot of times folks don't know what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is, so I'll just give you a crash course on it. What it really means is clergy over laity, or one group of people over another. And in that in that church in that setting, the clergy set itself up over the laity. The clergy was looked at as important and the laity was looked at as not so important. You know, the only difference between the clergy and the laity is the clergy have different responsibilities, but the same in importance. And actually, as you study this doctrine out, this thing that Jesus hated that was going on in this church in Pergamos is really any group holding supremacy over another. It's like in this church. You're welcome to come no matter what your skin color is. God doesn't look on, on that. He looks on the heart. You know, they say that, that the, one of the most segregated times in America is during the church hour on Sunday morning. That the black people go into the black church, white people go into white. Why can't we be together? I, I love to have black folk come here. Amen? I don't care what your nationality is. Red, yellow, black, or white, we're precious in his sight. I know of churches, and this has to do not just with skin color, but it has to do with rich over poor. Did you know that there are some churches I, I, I know of that if you were rich, you were accepted more so than if you didn't have much? Do you know there are some churches that if you gave enough money, they'd, they'd give you a seat on the front row? And if you gave enough money, they'd give you a seat up on the platform. You know Jesus hates that. I said Jesus hates it. You can read the book of James, and James just does a number on that stuff, showing partiality. 
I remember when we were getting ready to move in this building, there was a fellow who I suppose that he tithed and gave, gave a lot of money back in that hour. And he said, once we get that new building built, he said, could you, and he was, he was serious. He said, could you get me a good seat? And I said, well, I tell you what, we can get you a good seat in the restroom. Well, he took him and his money and he left. And offerings went up. I hope you're glad you have a pastor like that. But I know of churches that if you gave enough money, they'd put you on the front row. And if you had to give enough money, they'd put you up on the stage. And, that's, and, and I'm telling you, Jesus hates that. And clicks. You know, I, I don't know that we have that in this church, but you know there's a lot of churches that clicks farm. And it's like, it's like those other reindeers. And, and, and people get treated like Rudolph, you know. All the other reindeers used to laugh and call him names. They wouldn't let poor Rudolph join in their reindeer games. I hate clicks, and Jesus hates them even more than I do. Did you hear me? And people that like clicks and they like to be on the in, they, they don't stay around here very long. Because we don't have clicks. <laughs> on clicks. Do you hear me? And, and so in verse 16, what does he tell him to do? He says, repent, or else I'll come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You don't want that happening. Now let's go on. Let's go to the next one. I hope you're finding this interesting. Revelation 2.19. Let's go there. Church in Thyatira. 2.19. Revelation 2.19. I know your works, love, service, faith, and, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, some think that this was the pastor's wife. But I can't prove that. That her name really wasn't Jezebel. It was symbolic because the Lord didn't want to embarrass her by calling her actual name. But nonetheless... Whatever, there was a woman there who called herself a prophetess. Be watchful about people that call themselves a prophet and especially a prophetess or a pro prophet, either one. It makes no difference. Uh, people that are calling themselves that aren't. You don't have to... Now, calling yourself a pastor is one thing, but when you start calling yourself a prophet or a prophetess, I, 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 if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but I bet you everything I have, that they're not a prophet or a prophetess. They're just trying to impress you. You can tell the fruit of the prophet, just look at his ministry or her ministry. And most of the time, these prophets, prophet, pro prophetesses, they're prophesying all the time. Prophet doesn't prophesy all the time. Just as the Spirit of God moves. There's one guy they had on TBN. His first name's, they call, he's not a prophet. They call him, first name's Kim. I won't call his last name. That one night he must have prophesied 50 or 60 different things. And I don't know of one of them all these years later that's come to pass. Just a bunch of confusion. But yet, they'll call him a prophet. He's no more a prophet than I'm a donkey. Well, I'm a pastor and I try to protect you from listening to that foolishness. I believe in a New Testament prophet. But I want to be sure that it's a real deal, not a bunch of foolishness. Amen. You know, I've quit watching almost all Christian television. At the direction of the, my wife and the Holy Ghost. And you know what? I feel a whole lot better. Most of it on there is just a bunch of tomfoolery and nonsense. There's some of it that's, that's good. Most of it isn't. I had to get away from it. I was addicted to it, and it was, it was throwing me off. And it got to the point I just watched it to be entertained, but I didn't realize that it was dumping a bunch of junk in me. And then I'd get up here in the pulpit, and a lot of that I'd get angry, and a lot of that I'd stand up here and start crying out against that stuff. And my, Diane said, you know, most of the people that go to our church are smart enough not to watch that. They don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> now, some of it's good now. Don't misunderstand it. Most of it isn't. Well, let's move on. Uh, 
so calls herself a prophet to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. Now, you know that's not right. Can you imagine me letting somebody come in here, male or female, and teach that it's all right to commit sexual sin? And evidently the pastor's sitting right there letting it go on. And the people not up in arms. I'd expect you all to be up in arms. And to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, we also had that in, 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 in the church in Pergamos. I didn't, I didn't say much about it, but it, they had it going on in Pergamos and in Thyatira. Idolatry and sexual immorality. And you know that still runs, runs through lots of churches today. Sexual immorality and idolatry. Sexual immorality and then idolatry. Sexual immorality. That's pretty easy, but idolatry, anytime you put anything ahead of God, you're an idolater. And it's interesting in verse 21, I gave her time to what? Do you know God gives us time to repent? And when I was new to the things of God, I thought that time was maybe two days. You know, God will give, sometimes He'll give people 40, 50 years to repent. He doesn't count time the way we do. See, quickly to Him could be 30 years. Quickly to me is 30 minutes. He, he don't, right? He don't, He don't, He don't. Well, I gotta work on my English. He doesn't, rec- he don't reckon, <laughs> he, he does not reckon time the, w- the way we do. Do you understand that? That used to throw me off when he said, behold, I'm coming quickly. And, you know, I'm thinking the next 20 minutes. But, you see, you know, I've been alive 46 years on this earth, and to God, that's less than about a half a millisecond. And I think that's a long time. Well, well he, gave, he gives us space to repent. And I tell you what, I'm just, I'm just telling you, for whatever it's worth to you, the time, the time is short. The time is short. I, 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 remember, I remember saying that, uh, I, I remember hearing preachers say that long time ago, the time is short, the time is short, and I've been saying it for 15 years. But I tell you what, I'm telling you, the time is short. Did you hear me? I said the time is short. And we've got space to repent. We better take advantage of that time. I gave her space to repent, but you know what? She didn't do it, did she? So he says, I'll cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Wow. That's, I mean... That's pretty, 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 pretty. I wouldn't want that to happen to me. I'll cast her into a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. But what's he looking for? Unless they what? Repent, Repent of their deeds. Isn't he good though? Yes. There's the goodness and the severity of God. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to cast her into a sick bed. And into great tribulation, he wants them to repent. He's given them time to repent. And then, I will kill her children with death. Now, that doesn't mean babies. That means those who follow in that doctrine. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and will give to each one according to your works. See, they needed revival, didn't they? Did they need revival? They needed revival. They needed repentance. Wow. How many churches have we covered? Three. Let's just get these next two real quick. Revelation 3.1. Revelation 3.1. Sardis. To the angel or the pastor of the church in Sardis. Right. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. Now that's significant. You need to... You need to underline that because that's, there's not seven Holy Spirits. It's talking about the number seven is God's number of completion. It's talking about the complete ministry of this Holy Spirit. And he has a sevenfold ministry. It's a complete ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's the only one of the churches that he mentions the complete work of the Holy Spirit. 
It's the only one of the seven that he talks about the complete work of the Spirit. And I think it's significant. Listen to this. He says, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Those are the, the pastors. I know your works. Now watch this. You have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Now this church definitely needs revival, doesn't it? What is revival? What's one of the definitions of revival? To, to bring that which is dead back to life. Is that right? This was, a, this was a dead church. This was a dead church. Deader than a doornail. Just dead. But yet they had a name that they were alive. That has hip, hypocrisy written all over it, doesn't it? A church full of dead hypocrites. Now if that church can be revived, I believe any church can. And then he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. So not everything was dead. I mean, most everything. But there were some things that, that weren't dead. And he says to strengthen those things. Notice that are what? Ready to what? Ready to die. They hadn't died, they hadn't died yet. But they're ready to. See, that's why you really need to move in and have revival before things die just completely and totally. But yet people need to be obedient to the voice of the Lord. And if they're not, the thing will die. Do you understand that? So they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. And there were some things in the church that did remain alive, but were ready to die. And he says, be watchful, strengthen those things. I've not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and what? And what? Hold, are you still out there? Hold fast and what? Real loud. What? Real loud, what? Repent. Repent. That's a message that he has to the church, isn't it? Now, we talked about hypocrisy. They had a name that they were alive, yet they were dead. But that deadness. Now, apparently they had been alive at one time. They had, they had that name of being alive. You know, you can only live on your reputation just so long. But, you know, as much as we could say about this, I, I want to say this. I think one thing that I think one thing that caused this church to die is they because you see it's the only one of the seven that he talks about the seven spirits of God are the complete work of the Holy Ghost and I believe they had stopped allowing the Holy Spirit to move in their in their midst the complete move of the Holy Spirit you know, we have churches in this hour that won't let the Holy Ghost move on Sunday morning. We have churches in this hour that won't let the Holy Ghost move on at all. They put them in the back room. I've not put the Holy Ghost in the back room. Now, I had, and I'm going to say this, it's a little bit bold, but I had a few narrow-minded people at the beginning of this last year who, who, who are narrow-minded and, and unreasonable when the Spirit of God wanted me to make some adjustments in this church to move this church more in line with what the Spirit of God wanted, not away from what He wanted, but more in line with what He wanted. They narrow-minded and unreasonable, and they left. You didn't see me go running after them because Jesus, when people walked away from Him, He doesn't go running after people. But you know what? We've had some of the strongest moves of God in this church in this year than we've ever had. But see, if you're not spiritual, you'll miss it because you'll think a strong move of God is people falling down or people running around the room or people dancing or being hilarious. I'm talking about in people's hearts. And yet we've had tongues, we've had interpretation, we've, we've, had, we've had prophecy. You know, prophecy doesn't have to come by me saying, you know, I'm going to prophesy now. Prophecies can come right in the middle of my teaching. Did you know that? Did you hear me? So all I did is I just moved this church more in line with what the Spirit of God wanted. But people that don't know the Spirit of God, some of them left. One lady, actually, because I said, it, you know, in, in, that, in those adjustments I made, I had become a little drill sergeant, you know, where I might have been a little bit in people's face at times. And, and the Spirit of God did want me to tone back on that a little bit. You know, this is a church, not a boot camp. You understand? So I have to... But the one lady came to me and she said, Pastor, 
you said that you're not going to, you know, be mean and gruff anymore. I need you to be mean and gruff. I want you to be mean and gruff. But because you're not going to be mean and gruff, I'm going to leave. <laughs> now, I can't help people like that. You see, you know what I'm talking about? I would get, sometimes I'd get up here and I just, you know, I just, I was, I was too, there's a difference between being bold in the spirit. Now, how many of you were here Sunday? Was I bold in the spirit? Now, I'm going to keep that up. I won't let, I will not, I will not stop that. I will not stop that. Whoever, whatever that costs me, I will not stop that. I'm talking about when I get over in the flesh. Has anybody ever got over in the flesh? And I was just a little rude sometimes from the pulpit. And the Spirit of God wanted me to pull back on it. But the woman, that one particular woman, wanted, she wanted me to get over in the flesh and just be crude to people. And, I, and the Spirit of God wanted me to change that. And she left. So what are you going to do? But the point I'm trying to make is, is I'm going to stay bold in the spirit like Sunday when he moved. See, I'm preaching the, goal, the word of God right now, but it's not with bold, boldness like with... Where, how many was here Sunday? Did you enjoy that? It's like, a, it's like refreshing, isn't it? See? And now we'll keep doing that. But you see, I, I, the spirit of God wanted me to make some adjustments to, so he could flow more in our services. And we've had some of the greatest Moves of the Spirit of God. But see, spiritual people will recognize that. Unspiritual people that think moves of God are hooping and hollering and running around and acting crazy. Well, we haven't had so much of that. And I'm glad because that's not what it's all about. It's all about a change of heart. Hey, I've had, I've had, I've had the people in here to swing, that swing from chandeliers. I've had the hyperventilators. I've had every kind of thing you can imagine as far as... You know, I mean, some people you just walk over next to them and the Spirit of God wasn't on me and they just start shaking. I don't want that. Now, if the Spirit of God is in manifestation, that's fine. But, I, but you know, I, I look around tonight at the, and I don't see any of those hyper... You know what I talk, hyperventilators? You'd walk over next... You know, and they act crazy and nuts. Huh? You know, they might be good people, but they're horrible church members. You can't get them to show up and be faithful to do anything. All they want to do is come and act crazy. Now, you might as well say amen. It's the truth. Huh? I'm all for people falling under the power of God if it's really the power of God. I'm all for tongues, interpretation. Of, uh, you know, it, 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 look, if we have tongues and interpretation and there's people here that aren't saved, what does the Bible say should happen? They, it, should, it should not make them think we're crazy. It should, call, it should bring them to a point of making a decision for Christ. Is that right? Yes. So all I did was line this place more up with the Bible. But there's nothing I can do about narrow-minded folk except go right on with the Word of God and preach the Word of God. And we've had some wonderful moves of the Spirit of God. I believe if the people will be obedient to the voice of the Lord, we'll have some wonderful moves of the Spirit of God on through the summer and into the fall. Praise God. And there might be some dancing and some shouting, but I'm looking more for the inward. This is about inward. What's going on on the inside? People getting set free of some stuff. People getting set, and f get, people getting set free of oppression and depression and staying free of it. And a joy of the Lord that's... yes. Yes, a joy of the Lord that's just not that's not just that's not just manifested in a public assembly, but a joy that is long lasting and that it manifests itself in the midnight hour at home when nobody is around and 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 their strength is produced. That's what this is about. You okay? All right? So let's have the move of the Spirit of God. Look, let's finish this up. Revelation 3, verse 15. You all don't mind if I go a little long tonight. Let's finish this up. Look at the last one, Laodicea. Revelation 3, 15. He said, I know your works, you're neither what? Cold or hot. I would that you were cold or hot because you're lukewarm, neither cold or hot. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Oh, my. Do they need a revival? Yes. Yeah. And then he goes on and he says, they had a lot of money too, didn't they? He said, I'm rich, verse 17. Become wealthy, have need of nothing. And then, But you see, Jesus doesn't see things the way we do. See, if you've got a lot of money, that don't mean anything. 
Do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? And then verse 19, he says, As many as I love. Did he love these lukewarm people? Yes, he did. And what did he do? He rebuked them. And see, I'm still going to preach those message of rebuke. I'm not getting away from that. All I'm saying is I'm not going to stand up here and rebuke you out of the flesh. I'll stand up here and I'll rebuke you by the word of God. You want a pastor that'll do that. And you see, it, it, he says, many as I love, I what? I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and what? Repent. And what? Repent. Repent. Praise God. Well, I'll just say this in closing. I don't care what point you're at in your life. Listen to what Joel said. Thus says, thus says the Lord, turn to me now with all your heart, even at this late hour, while there's still time. To repent. Come with fasting, weeping, mourning until every hindrance is removed and the broken fellowship is restored. Upon repentance, Jonah was released from the fish. Maybe you're in the mouth of the fish, so to speak, and you want to get out of there. You know what? It wasn't until Jonah repented that, that, and prayed that he was released from the fish. And then, and then you know, David... Get this, and then I'm done. Upon repentance, his joy of salvation was restored. What is the result of revival? It's what? Repentance and joy. But I'm here tonight to tell you, you can't get to the joy until there's first what? Repentance. And that's where we're headed. We're headed for the joy of the Lord. Joy like we've not experienced thus far. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so many have cried out and said, I want the glory. 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 But you see, to get to the glory, there must first be repentance. And then from repentance... There is joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. So we're going to stick with this topic until the Lord releases me of revival. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. All right, ushers come. We'll receive the tithes.